This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Welcome, Talk Catholic, the website.com, your host, Tim Kilcoin. No agendas here, just the straight and narrow, through Mary to Jesus, the Catholic faith proclaimed and preserved. Hope to see you here every week. Tim Kilcoyne. It is our Saint of the Month Saturday, and we will be looking at Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frazzati. But before we do that, I was just watching a movie on the great saint and a kind of a similar type of saint, a lay saint, our Saint of the Month last month, St. Thomas More, Man for All Seasons. That should be on everybody's bookshelf, please. And I thought that this wonderful movie depicts the essence of the difficulty of our times. St. Thomas More was a man of principle, and the movie depicts beautifully the pressures upon Thomas, not so much by Henry VIII wanting Thomas to accept his new illegitimate bride, because he didn't get an heir to the throne by the first wife. So Henry basically goes off on a tangent of multiple wives in order to try to find this male heir to the throne. And St. Thomas was a devout Catholic and simply would not budge an inch on the church's teaching that if that first marriage was legit, that it could not be annulled, in which case this was adultery. And it led to Henry setting himself up as the head of the church. You know, it's amazing some of these heresies in Catholic Church history that if non-Catholics would just get a darn good history book, look at the facts, you'd see that Holy Mother Church has been the Catholic Church. That doesn't always mean that her members are holy, and Henry VIII was one such. In any event, what the movie depicts for us today that is, I think, ever so applicable, and I'm actually remembering a document that Pope Benedict penned in the latter years of his Pope Emeritus papacy, call it, about the church and the abuse scandal. And he chose to focus on the scandal of moral theology, that in the seminaries and institutes of higher learning, moral theology was virtually decimated by the sexual revolution of the late 60s. And I will just read quickly as a good example from the National Catholic Register that very letter. He says, Catholic moral theology suffered a collapse that rendered the church defenseless against many changes in society. Consequently, there could no longer be anything that constituted an absolute good, any more than anything absolutely or fundamentally evil. There could be only relative value judgments. There no longer was the absolute good, but only the relatively better, contingent on the moment and on the circumstances. The failure of theology in the seminaries and in the universities found its way into the pastoral life of the church. As moral theology weakened, Benedict argued, the church failed to defend the traditional sexual ethic, and this led to extreme abuse by priests and a failure to confront it forcefully. More broadly, this failure that Pope Benedict is talking about is a shift 
intellectually away from moral principles and the embrace of psychology, circumstances, what was the good and the evil that you did, always trying to wonder why you did something as opposed to what you did, not looking at, you can see how the commandments would get put on the shelf here because they no longer had that absolute good as the criteria for moral action or moral evaluation. And in the movie of St. Thomas More, you get a wonderful depiction of what a man should be like when he stands on moral principle always. Here was a fellow that was not going to acquiesce to King Henry VIII's desire to get Thomas to simply nod his head of approval to an illegitimate marriage. St. Thomas was a devout Catholic who believed in the Church's teachings relative to marriage, and unless there was a, an authentic, legitimate annulment granted by the Pope, he was going to stand firm with Holy Mother Church. Now, his family, his own wife in the movie, did not jump to the same podium of principled determination. She wanted him to acquiesce and somehow get along with Henry. Needless to say, I'm sure that it had something to do with taking care of the home and not losing their house and livelihood. But nevertheless, Henry went forward with his position. He tried to remain silent and hope that silence alone might spare him. But we know what evil always tries to do. They concoct allegations of every variety in order to get you. And uh, indeed, they got him by the gauntlet. And it was such a tragedy. And yet, what great heroism by a lay Catholic do we have in St. Thomas More? Especially, he's a patron saint of lawyers for sure. And think of all the, the wonderful Catholic lawyers all through the years who, um, who, who no doubt looked up to St. Thomas More as their idol, as their model to be. Well, we have another one here today in our saint to be, because he's not saint yet. He's blessed Pierre Giorgio Frazzati. And so I'd like to pick up on another great man for his times. These are lay people that God called up at critical moments in church history. In fact, I have a huge book written by Joan Carroll Cruz called Secular Saints. You'd be amazed how many there are. In fact, in fact, St. John Paul II canonized over 480 saints and beatified 1,300 more. And a very large percentage of these were lay people. Boy, do we need another right now. From the website, catholic.org. A quick synopsis, and then we'll get into greater detail afterwards. Pierre Giorgio Frazzati was born April 6, 1901, to an Italian Catholic activist and a member from the Third Order of St. Dominic. He was dedicated to social justice issues and joined several charitable organizations, including Catholic Action and the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. To better aid the poor and the less fortunate living in his hometown of Turin, Italy, he put his own pious beliefs into practice to cater to their needs and was best known for his devotion and amiable character. Frazzati was an avid mountaineer who often climbed with his friends. He was an able swimmer and athlete best known for engaging in such social activities with a range of like-minded friends. His charitable outreach towards others knew no bounds for he identified with and aided the poor and ill from his childhood. His social status granted him greater freedom in aiding others who needed it most. 
His cause for canonization opened in 1932. Pope John Paul II beatified Frazzati in May 1990 and dubbed him the man of eight beatitudes. Now in greater detail, Frazzati's inclination to help others manifested itself in childhood. There was one occasion as a child where he answered the door to find a mother begging with her son who was shoeless. His response was to take off his own shoes and give them to the child. In 1909, his father refused to help a man who came to the door because he was drunk. The sobbing Frazzati told his mother of this, and she instructed him to find the man and bring him to the home for something to eat. His first confession was heard at the Church of Corpus Christi on 20 June 1910, and he received his first communion on June 19, 1911. He received his confirmation in his parish church, on June 10, 1915. Frizzati was known as the terror due to his fondness for practical jokes, though they were in good taste. He was an average student in school, though he was known among his peers for his intelligence and more so for his devotion. Frizzetti was dedicated to the works of social action that would unite people together in fellowship as a means of combating inequalities. He was an opponent of fascism and did not support the regime of Benito Mussolini. He was once arrested in Rome while protesting alongside the 1921 Young Catholics Workers Congress, as well as many other student groups. Frizzetti became a professed member of the Third Order of St. Dominic on May 28, 1922, to imitate the example of Dominic of Osma, in which he assumed the religious name of Girolamo, in honor of Girolamo Savonrola. He was also devoted to the teachings of St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Catherine of Siena. The teachings of Paul the Apostle also inspired him, and that saint is mentioned in a range of Frazzetti letters. He often said, Charity is not enough. We need social reform. He helped establish a newspaper entitled Momento, whose principles were based on Pope Leo XIII's Rerum Novarum, his social encyclical. He joined the St. Vincent de Paul group in 1918 and spent much of his time helping the poor and less fortunate. In 1918, he began his studies in engineering so he could become a mining engineer since he wanted to do this in order to serve Christ better among the miners. Upon his graduation, his father offered him either a car or a sizable fund though he chose the latter so he could give it to the poor rather than use it for himself. His talent seemed to be limitless. He was an avid mountaineer, an athlete, who could swim well and could even recite Dante passages with relative ease. He also frequented theaters and museums with friends whenever he had a chance, but he only saw films at the cinema after learning of that film's moral qualities, since he disliked those things of a vulgar and impure nature. On the 30th of June, 1925, while boating with friends, he began to complain of some sharp pains in his back. On July 1, he returned home with a severe headache. On July 2nd, the doctor was summoned and a diagnosis was made. It was polio. His condition grew to the breaking point at 3 a.m. on the 4th of July, in which a priest was summoned. His final words, with his mother holding him in her arms, May I breathe forth my soul in peace with you. And now let us turn to a few quotes from Pier Giorgio Frizzati from the website azquotes.com. First one's a beauty. To uh, offset and counter the, the socialist desire for all of us to be dumbed down to mediocrity, as if all talents and gifts are thoroughly equal for the real goal of mediocrity across the board. He says, the higher we go, the better we shall hear the voice of Christ. Remember what our Lord said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Seek excellence in all that you do for the greater glory of God. This is the aspiration that raises up people. 
and doesn't keep them down. Thus, Pierre Giorgio is very well known for his athletic talents under God. I used to refer to him in my own master's thesis on a theology of sports more than a few years ago. And it's the fact that competition, ladies and gentlemen, please tell your local public school, is a very good thing. Competition in everything raises people up. Don't ever forget that as the communists are trying to erase that very spirit. Indeed, it is a Christian Holy Spirit. The next quote, the end for which we were created invites us to walk a road that is surely sown with a lot of thorns, but it is not sad, though even the sorrow, it is illuminated by joy. Oh, here is the great paradox of our faith, is it not? Blessed sorrow, ladies and gentlemen, something you haven't heard spoken to probably in your lifetime. If you get your news only from the tube, Again, the way of the cross leads to the resurrection of Easter Sunday. Even in the midst of extreme suffering, let's say physically, if you look at the lives of these saints, it is so fundamentally characterized by a radiant joy of acceptance as they know they're participating with the crucified Christ on Good Friday. This is a, one of the greatest paradoxes and difficulties to accept within the Christian tradition because it raises up mortification, another term you're not hearing in the national news media. Mortification is a very good thing. The next quote, to live without faith, without a patrimony to defend, without a steady struggle for truth, that is not living, but existing. In an age where truth itself is under fire, where truth is denied, ladies and gentlemen, where it's only your truth versus my truth. That's not truth, and that's not living either. Truth is an objective norm. It's parallel to the very essence of God's teachings for us that he set in motion. It's external criteria to ourselves. We don't decide what the truth is. It's out there. We have to find it, and we have to know it and live it and pass it on, not sarcastically question. And if you don't think that fighting for the truth right now in every realm of life, well, you're barely breathing. And I would highly recommend do a little internet search on the recent testimony before Congress by uh, RFK Jr. about the tyrants regarding our free speech, our First Amendment. It was nonpartisan, precisely because it was true, but as he beautifully pointed out, it requires civil conversation and debate in order to get to that truth. And there is the coarseness of our culture right now, that the creepy acceptance of all kinds of evils over many decades has brought upon us. Blessed Pierre says, Jesus is with me. I have nothing to fear. I'm reminded from the movie Restless Heart, all about St. Augustine, where St. Ambrose is trying to reach the heart of St. Augustine, the, uh, the scoundrel, before becoming a saint. He says, you don't find the truth. The truth finds you. You have to let him find you. If you truly know Jesus, then you'll have his ears to hear and his eyes to see his truths in every realm and sphere of knowledge. See the original charism of St. Ignatius. Blessed Pierre says, God gives us health so that we may serve the sick. So much for careerism as the end all. He says, In a world gone astray from God, there is no peace. 
but it also lacks charity, which is true and perfect love. Nothing is more beautiful than love. Indeed, faith and hope will end when we die, whereas love, that is charity, will last for eternity. St. John Paul, beatified, blessed Pierre Giorgio Frazzetti on the 20th of May, 1990. Let's take a break. This is WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. We'll return to our book review, You Shall Stand Firm. Here's a great song from the 1960s before everything went crazy, huh? The Vogues. Turn around, look at me. Think of our Lord as you listen to the lyrics of this song. session with Father Casey, and we are in the last chapter called Confidence in God. He was talking about a friend that seemingly was the most successful gent, but had setbacks, and those were the things that he simply focused on, and he tended to be pretty much miserable. And he gave him this particular act of trust prayer that transformed his life most fully. And then he referred to several saints as almost too many of them for me to rattle off. But I thought St. John Fisher had a beautiful little quote that said, Be not made sad by the adverse events of this life, for you know not what good they bring with them, ordained by God for your everlasting joy. I thought that was a real good one to endure the real trials and tribulations of this life, especially as we get older, they seem to get only heavier. And to understand that 
We're simply walking the walk, the Via Dolorosa, with Jesus, especially as we get older. <laughs> uh, but not to, not to despair, not to get disheartened, not to see the glass half empty all the time. But no, know that everything is of God, whether it be by his ordaining will or permissive will. In any event, Father Casey goes on and says, the greatest and most perfect act of trusting God in all of salvation history was made by our Blessed Mother Mary at the Annunciation when she consented to become the Virgin Mother of the Redeemer. Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Luke chapter 1, verse 38. One unfortunate condition which seems to be all too characteristic of contemporary living is the suffering brought on by stress and high anxiety. The typically intense societal pressure to achieve status and success tends to make ours a stressed-out society. The Hollywood establishment and the deluge of nonsense generated on social media constantly laud the lifestyles of the rich and famous and hold out the idea that their standards of living and material wealth are readily attainable to the average citizen. The never-ending quest to attain as much money, pleasure, and material superabundance as one can, any way that one can, often eclipses any desire for for joys of marriage and family living. How many rarely consider their relationship with the Creator and the state of their immortal souls as they push themselves, drive themselves, and knock themselves out for a small profit, a small promotion, or a small advantage over a rival competitor in business or professional life? Years go by and they fail to find the satisfaction and prestige that they were so arduously searching for. It seems to me that one of the reasons why we so often fail to find peace of mind and soul is that we spend our lives worrying about what other people think of us. We sometimes seem far more concerned with what other people think of us than the fulfillment of God's will in our lives. Is it not true that most people go through life concerned with everyone's opinion but God's? They are fearful of offending everyone but God. It is painfully obvious that this has been a huge problem, especially for women, in the past five decades with the advent of the radical feminist movement. Since the rise of the women's movement in the 60s, the average woman in the industrialized West has been under tremendous societal pressure to conform to the idea that she cannot and should not find happiness and fulfillment in marriage, motherhood, and family life. The relentless propaganda of the radical feminist movement has sought to convey the inherently destructive idea that to be a good wife and a good mother means nothing. The ideology of the radical feminist asserts that such traditional ways of life merely reduce a woman to the level of a servant or even a slave shackled to husband and children. If you are a woman with a large family today, you must be countercultural, since you will often be confronted with the wrath of those who hold the sanctity of human life and family values in contempt. If you do not have a job or a career to pursue, you will surely be informed that you are only a stay-at-home mom, quote-unquote, or just a housewife, quote-unquote. When a mother with a big family is out with her kids at a shopping mall or a supermarket, how often will they be subjected to snide comments and snacky jabs, usually from women who look down at the kids and say, oh, are they all yours? How many kids have you got? I hope you're not thinking of having any more. Ever heard of birth control? I personally know good Christian mothers who have heard these or similar insults while out in public. This is indicative of the predominance of the insidious contraceptive mentality. It is the convoluted thinking of worldly, selfish, short-sighted people who do not see children as a gift from God, but rather as a burden and a liability. What bitter regrets many such people have later in life when they come to the realization that those children are intended by God to be their parents' pride and joy as well as their help, 
comfort and support in the loneliness and hardship of their old age. This, of course, is in no way intended to be critical of those women who have chosen to pursue what they understand to be their authentic vocations to professional life or to hold jobs that they and their families cannot afford to be without. I completely understand the pressing financial and material needs that necessitate two incomes for the average family in this day and age. I also understand that God calls many women to the single life. He says, please don't misunderstand me. My point here is that, in my opinion, there are millions of women who are not happier and not more fulfilled by job and career when a family is relegated to the periphery of life. In fact, more women seem often to be ultimately disillusioned when marriage and family are rejected for the sake of a career. Well, I'm hearing my mom's words, and I'm finishing up the show tonight on the eve of my mom's departure six years ago. Mary Frances Hastings Kilcoyne, who was a powerhouse of opinion about many things, but most of all, faithful to Catholic Church teaching, especially as it regarded marriage and women in general. And she made her opinions known on the modern world, the world of feminism. Many a time did mom talk about this and how they lost out on everything. And that's exactly the phrase that I can remember clearly. At mom's funeral, I offered a few words at the tail end, and I made it very clear. She was a funny combination of St. Therese, St. Maria Goretti, whose birthday was mom's birthday, and the great Catholic woman activist, Phyllis Shafley, a holy feminist. Oh, she loved Phyllis Shafley. (laughs) And Phyllis Shafley's books all zone in on exactly what Father Casey is alluding to, or as Father Chad Ripperger would call it, the curse of Eve. The desire to control and dominate, simply not of a lady. Indeed, Mom. This is WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. We shall pass this baton. God bless everyone. Let your light shine. That is what it's all about here at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. But we need to hear your story. You want your voice to be his voice. That is making the faith known to others. Please, my number is 877-625-3727. Tim Kilcoin, TalkCatholic.com. St. Mother Teresa told us, your ministry is your work right where you are. Grab on to this microphone. God bless.